As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. show my name is ryan bailey and it's premier league preview time baby we're going to preview every single premier league team for you even burnley please contain your excitement at this point and we'll learn together about new teams new players new tactics and which new kits graham rutherford will be modeling on his only fans page it's all happening here speaking of the devil graham rutherford hello are you ready to premier league once again I'm not sure if I'm ready, Ryan. It feels like there's not really been much of a break. I, w- I would take a couple extra weeks, I'm not going to lie. But it's here, so I guess we just have to embrace it. There's me thinking you might have said something positive to that question, but then I realised <laughs> who I was asking it to, Graham. Very well, very well. Well, thank you for joining us for this one, Graham. Uh, Joe Lowry, are you excited for those 4.30am West Coast kickoffs <laughs> once again, sir? Oh, Ryan, I'm so excited. The DVR will be a wonderful, wonderful tool for me. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Some bleary-eyed watching for you, Joseph, coming up in a matter of hours. Last but not least for the TSS gang, of course, it's Taylor Rockwell. Taylor, it's an exciting time of year, isn't it? I always like the week before the Premier League starts. You just feel like there's so much potential. There's these fresh new kits out there. There's a clean slate for everybody. And it's that time before that crushing reality of five (laughs) or six games in when most teams realise what they're in for. Yeah, pretty much. It's 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 the happy time. It's the optimism time. It's the time of belief. It's the time to look at a roster and think, wait, that guy went where? And then try to figure out where that guy went. Uh, and with that in mind, I appreciate that you all were willing to push back recording until it was confirmed that Lionel Messi won't be joining Brighton. Uh, I am previewing them, and I just wanted to make sure that that definitely wasn't happening before we recorded this one. Otherwise, my preview would have changed slightly. Did he end up with Burnley then? What was it? I mean, it's, I think it's between Burnley and PSG, but he has firmly ruled out Brighton at this point. 
I have been to Burnley and I've been to Paris and I know uh-huh. which one I'd like to live in. And Pretty I much think the same Leo, thing. Mm, they're similar, but different in many ways. Um, <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> They're both technically cities. I mean, you can breathe air in both of them. That's probably where the similarities end, I suppose. But yeah, I- I'm not going to be too disparaging about Burnley. I've already taken several shots at them at this point. Um, one thing before we get started, gents, we're going to be previewing um, the first half of the Premier League alphabetically, Arsenal through Leicester today. Uh, each of us is taking five teams in these Premier League previews. I just wanted to have a quick word about kits. I touched on them there. Graham, I feel like you are uh, a kit aficionado. What do you like from the Premier League this season I have to say I really like two there's the Watford home kit which has the sort of faded black stripes which they literally mm-hmm. look like hornets this this year and um Tottenham's away kit with the crazy yeah. galaxy we were eating space cakes deal yeah that's the one that is the one yep. I've not bought that yet but I will be uh I'll be purchasing one of those I also like at completely the other end of the spectrum I also really like Manchester United's home kit this year which mm. has seems to have divided opinion I just really like the kind of retro simplistic look and it's good for ones that they don't have a big giant gold uh cross on the on their chest uh so that's good and uh, Arsenal's today as well they're away kit which they released um only today as, as we're recording I like that as well. The kind of zigzaggy grey and red kind of design. I like that one. Yeah, that Man United kit. I'm I'm totally with you there. How about you, Taylor? You like that Man United kit? I like both of them. The home and the away. I like the away, the kind of like 80s, late 70s, early 80s retro blue. Uh, I think, think that one's really nice. Sometimes when they do the blue, I think they go just too sort of standard with it. Uh, and so I like the away. But then, yeah, certainly the home also kind of has a throwback vibe to it. I'm in on that one. Joe, anything caught your eye? I, have you seen the Tottenham away kit to which we're referring? <laughs> Ryan, I'd be lying to you if I'd seen any of the kits for this upcoming season. <laughs> I got out of my game. Uh, Gra- that's Graham's job. Come on, that's Graham's job. That's very true. I expect nothing less from that. Thank you very much, <laughs> Joe. Um, oh, w- one other thing I should say. Um, Milan released their sleeve official sleeve partner uh, this week. Uh, it's a... Uh, BitMEX, a cryptocurrency trading partner. So both Milan kits have crypto on them this year. Yay! Isn't that fun? <laughs> is that what? Is that All what? Right, I was just going to say, Jack Dorsey tweeted yesterday that Bitcoin was going to unite the world. Is this what he meant? That both Milan clubs are now sponsored by Bitcoin agencies? <laughs> that can only be what he meant. But what I did find out, a fun fact, Graham, <sighs> the, the crypto derivative that sponsors Milan is banned in the UK by the Finance Conduct Authority because oh. it's not safe enough for consumers. <laughs> it's also not recommended by US authorities because it's so dangerous and they can't uh, give you any protection when you invest in them. So, uh, yeah. That's a thing that's happening these days on kits. Anyway, we've talked enough about kits. We have plenty, plenty to get through with these Premier League previews. Why don't we start at the very top with you, sir, Graham Ruthven. You are going to be talking to us for a few minutes about Arsenal. Uh, Last season failed to qualify for Europe. Are their chances better now? More importantly, Graham, how's this Amazon all or nothing documentary going to go down? It seems like a, a bit of a kiss of death. Those those Amazon uh, those Amazon documentaries. It certainly was for 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 Tottenham when their cameras were were, were at that that North London club. But yes, where where did we leave Arsenal last season? Well, we, we left them. Uh, they finished in eighth place, which was their lowest Premier League finish since nineteen ninety five. And Spotify were trying to make Arsenal their their next big acquisition after the Joe Rogan experience. And I'm not sure that they managed to get their hands on Arsenal. So in terms of the ownership and the management and a lot of the, the players still at the club a lot is a lot of the same uh, a lot of people seem to be trusting the process with Mikel Arteta I'm not entirely sure 
what that process actually is. But I think it's fair to say his team is very much a, a work in progress. He has been afforded the patience that Unai Emery never uh, never really got in his two seasons. But I think it's also fair to say that Arteta will be expected to deliver a lot more tangible results this season. I'd say eight place last season, and that was actually after a, a, a second half of the season upturn. The first half of the season was dreadful for Arsenal. They were flirting with relegation for a lot of that season. Um, and there, there were points last season where Arteta, in terms of his job security, seemed to be on the edge. So I'm not entirely sure how much patience he will actually be afforded this season. This summer was expected to be a big one for Arsenal. Um, and they were expected to make a lot of moves, in particular in terms of moving players on. And that hasn't really materialised. They, they have made a big marquee, marquee signing in the form of, of Ben White from Brighton, £50 million. I'm not entirely sure that's where I would have placed that money if I were the Arsenal hierarchy. Um, it doesn't seem like they have the budget of some of their rivals. So £50 million on one player is, is a lot. Their defensive record last season was actually the third best in the Premier League. It was one of the areas where Arteta seemed to have made a lot of uh, a lot of progress. But I guess Ben White is very good on the ball and he will ease a, a, a lot of the dependence on Rob Holding to bring the ball out from the back because David Luiz is one of the few players that Arsenal did manage to, to move on this summer and he was important in the way that they progressed the ball out from the back. Um, a couple other signings that they have made, Albert Sambi Lekonga has arrived from Anderlecht Anderlecht, sorry, in Belgium. He will likely need to hit the ground running after Thomas Partey suffered a, an injury. And it looks like he might actually start the, the, the first few games of the season in central midfield alongside Granit Xhaka. Nuno Tavares from Benfica, he's really there to provide some depth in, in, in the fullback area. But all three of the signings, the, per, the permanent signings that Arsenal have made so far are under the age of 23, which is, I think is a sign of of Arsenal's uh, focus in this transfer market. If, I've, if I'm going to turn it towards not so much players that have arrived, but someone who hasn't arrived, I would say the, the, the failure to sign, so far anyway, to sign Martin Odegaard permanently from Real Madrid has been a big thing for Arsenal. He looked to have made a, a big impact um, last season on loan from Real Madrid, there was an expectation that he would uh, he would be signed permanently, but then Real Madrid changed managers and Zinedine Zidane, who's not so much a fan of Odegaard, is no longer at Real Madrid. So that has changed the situation. That has led to links with the likes of Madison, James Madison, uh, Bernardo Silva, Jesse Lingard. Basically, the gist is that Arsenal really need a, another creative midfielder, another creative player in that, that final third before the window closes. So I think that's where their focus will be between now and the the end of the window. But it's it certainly, to, to summarise, it feels like Arsenal are still a work in progress. Their summer hasn't been as much of an overhaul as I think they had wanted, and they've still got quite a bit of work to do in the transfer market. Graham, when I look at Arsenal this summer, I kind of, you know the Alan Partridge gif where he just shrugs? I kind of yeah. feel it's a bit like that. And um, yeah, as you say, Bren White's been brought in. But then you look at things like the Granit Xhaka situation where he, he wanted to leave. I believe they wanted to get rid of him, but they couldn't quite get the right price. So contract extension, which doesn't scream of, um, you know, the master plan being put into place. Absolutely right. The, the, the Zaka one is very confusing. He seemed like a prime example of someone who could be moved on and someone who could you could get a decent fee for. And as you say, Roma were very interested in him to the point where I think we were all expecting an official announcement before the Euros that he'd signed for Roma and then it never really happened. Another one is Hector Bellerin, who is apparently on Inter's radar after they uh, lost Akra, uh, Akraf Hakimi. 
and he's another player you'd say okay you can get a decent fee for him it's probably time even though I quite like Bellerin and, and he's been a decent player for Arsenal it's probably time to move him on and reinvest those funds in maybe another area of the pitch but he's still at Arsenal as well Lacazette's into the final year of his contract there's been interest in him from Spain and, and Italy I think he's still at the club so I, I do feel a little bit of sympathy for Arsenal and that the market doesn't seem to be the. I mean how many clubs right now are reportedly trying to shift between five and ten players, you know, Barcelona, PSG, Manchester United have got players, City are trying to sell players, Arsenal are trying to sell players, and I, and I think that timing, they, they've, they, yeah, that's been, that's had a, an impact on their business this summer. One last question for you, Graham, a quick one. St. Totteringham's Day, is it happening this season? <laughs> so St. Totteringham's Day is the day that which of the two finishes above each other? When Clarify Arsenal from... finishes above Tottenham, above believe, Tottenham. traditionally, right? Yes, so I I don't think that's happening this season. <laughs> I I think Tottenham will finish. They're also one of the teams I'm previewing. Actually, I've got both North London uh, teams, so you'll hear what I've, I think you. about them in, in the next in the next podcast. But I fancy Tottenham over Arsenal this season. All right, that sounds like a safe bet. Joseph Lowry, I turn my attention to you and the Aston Village, please. They did lose a rather big player. They have made some interesting moves, as we discussed earlier this week. Uh, Will they finish better than last season, which was a decent finish uh, in 11th place? I think they have the tools to do that, but everything... Everything that I'm going to say about Aston Villa really does come through one specific lens, and that's the lens of how are they going to replace Jack Grealish. And they've already made the moves to replace him, technically speaking. But then there's a whole nother step to that process, which is how does the on-field product actually turn out? So they sold Jack Grealish, which we talked about on yesterday's show, that's Monday, um, if you're scrolling back through the feed, for a large sum of money. So Jack Grealish, who played... On, often on the left side of their 4-2-3-1, the left attacking midfield spot, or sometimes centrally in that shape as well under Dean Smith last season, he was their most important attacking player by a mile. He led the team in expected assists per 90. He led them in key passes and shot-creating actions per 90. Passes into the penalty area, successful dribbles. He was their attack in a lot of senses. Dean Smith doesn't play this high-volume possession kind of style. They were very aggressive and quick in how they attacked, moving the ball out of their own half, and oftentimes playing long balls into the attacking half for then the ball to be knocked down to Jack Grealish. And then he can conduct attacks from there. I should say he could have in the past conducted attacks from there because he's gone now. So I don't expect a drastic tactical change from Dean Smith in terms of how they possess the ball and how they move it out of the back. It feels to me like the personnel that they have in just Dean Smith's own coaching style is dependent on playing a little bit more aggressively. But a couple of the players that are going to have to help this team work in that structure and and help them try to do better than their 11th place finish last season, which was a good finish for Aston Villa last year, I will add. We talked about Leon Bailey a little bit yesterday coming over from Bayer Leverkusen. He's a fun player, right? And Taylor and I, I I think, have watched a lot of him in CONCACAF when he's playing for Jamaica, and he's bright for Leverkusen, not incredibly consistent at this point, but he's also not in the Jack Grealish profile. He's a very different player from Jack Grealish. Grealish is kind of a a 10-winger, 8 hybrid, and Leon Bailey, he's a winger. He's going to get to the end line. He's got dribbling skills. So they're very different players. Not to say that Leon Bailey won't be involved. He will be, but he's not really going to fill that role. The player that I think will come the closest to filling that role is Emiliano Buendia coming over Mm. from Norwich. I have the fee at $42 million, not, not pounds. Give or take on that between converting in currencies and different sources, not my own, but coming from the internet. You get it. Thanks, Brexit. Uh, he, Buendia is phenomenal. We talked about him, and I don't remember who was on that show, but we had a listener question a while back about players from relegated teams 
that or, or players from teams in relegation battles that could make an impact higher up the table in, in different leagues. And Buendia was one that we talked about. He's 24 years old. He had 15 goals and 15 assists in the championship last year. He's right-footed. He's skillful, both traits that Jack Grealish also has. I'm not saying he's going to be Jack Grealish, but when you watch him, he's just so technical on the ball. He's he's a game changer. He's a guy. Buendia is a guy that can win Aston Villa games. You've also got Ashley Young coming in, uh, Axel Twanzibe, Danny Ings, who's a little bit more of a question mark, but I think having more depth at striker after Ollie Watkins or in front of Ollie Watkins is a good thing. I just I'm so excited about Buendia, and I'm excited to see how Aston Villa use the money that they've invested in these players to actually try and better their position in the table this season. Now. Um... That, that was great stuff about Aston Villa there, Joe. And I would like a very specific prediction. And I'm going to come back to Graham for his on Arsenal, so because I'm a true pro and I forgot to ask him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so my my VSP is that Emiliano Buendia, yeah, shocker that I'm talking more about him, will have the most combined expected goals and expected assists on the team. And it'll be more than Jack Grealish ever put up in his two Premier League seasons with Aston Villa. Ooh. So there, there's some caveat there because Grealish was hurt for a chunk of last season, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It's going to sound cool when it happens because Buendia is going to be awesome. So there's a lot of big chat about players who come up from the championship and some make it, some don't. You're, you're, you're backing Buendia here, Joe, very much. Yeah, I, see. I, I, I really, really am. I think... His level is higher than Aston Villa long-term. He's he's in his prime right now. He's a guy that could make waves at a lot of clubs across Europe. Yeah, Joe, he with came Leon Bailey... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. No, I was just going to say he came from Norwich, who brought in another forward player whom we might speak about into in the next part of this uh, Premier League preview. Go ahead, Taylor. With Land Bailey coming in, Joe, if, uh, if, if Emi Buendia is supposed to kind of do a... A roughly uh, comparable job to Jack Grealish. Why bring in Leon Bailey? Does that give them like more like more variation to how they want to attack? To have his kind of speed and hugging the touchline crossing ability. Like is is that like a, another look that they could add in, or does he just sort of augment what they've already had in place? No, I, I think he gives them another wrinkle, right? He is left-footed, and I, I would assume he'll play most of this year on the right wing in either a 4-2-3-1, which is the shape that Dean Smith used last season, or potentially a 4-3-3. Either way, likely on that right side. So he can drive to the end line, but also he's very good at cutting inside, beating somebody on the dribble, and then driving forward into that space. He just adds another wrinkle. A lot of managers like to have kind of a, a winger, a pocket winger who will tuck in on one side, and that could be Buendia a little bit shifting into the half space and even into zone 14 sometimes in the middle of the attack. And then you have Bailey who can stretch the line and cut inside and maybe a fullback overlapping on that side as well. It just gives them more dimension and depth to that attack. Graham, real quick, just to come back to Arsenal and a VSP, a very specific prediction if you have one, sir. I do. Nothing as uh, spicy as, as Joe's there, but uh, I've, I've got, if Arsenal don't replace Odegaard, which as I say is a big focus for them between now and the end of the season, their shots per game average from last season, which was pretty low already, it's 12.1 per game, which was 11th in the Premier League, I think that will be even lower this season if they don't get someone to, to replace him. Graham, if they need someone to replace him and they need sort of a creative attacking midfielder who's good on the ball, but maybe isn't going to do that much defensive work. I've heard of this guy, Mesut Ozil. Do you feel like that would be a good guy? <laughs> yeah, I feel like Arsenal have also heard of uh, Mesut oh, yeah? Ozil. In fact, they're they're probably tired of hearing about uh, Mesut Almost Ozil. Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor, Arsenal fans. I am yeah. going to come to you, sir, to talk about Brighton just after we discuss mm-hmm. the team I'm pitching as the neutrals team to back in this Premier League season. 
Brentford, the new boys, the Premier League deputants in their 132nd league season, their first time in the top flight in 74 years. Uh, they won the playoffs, the championship playoffs last season. They beat Swansea 2-0 at Wembley. And just to give a bit of background for those who may not be aware of Brentford, Brentford is in West London, kind of in the area where Chelsea and Fulham are uh, a few miles north of my team, Wimbledon as well. Uh, there they it play- is. There's ding, the ding, 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 ding. We know oh, it's coming. Wait. There's more to come. There's more to who come. Had, who had 17 minutes? in the pool <laughs> very good uh, much like AFC Wimbledon there's another one they have a brand new stadium this season they're at the Brentford Community Stadium uh, they actually owned it last year they didn't have any fans but when they play the first game of the Premier League season against Arsenal which I think they'll win um, this coming Friday they'll be in their brand new stadium 70, just over 17,000 people in there filled for the first time they're very much looking forward to that now uh, the thing about Brentford is they're quite a unique team. Their owner, Matthew Bentham, took over in 2012. They've got a co-director of football called Rasmus Ankerson. Uh, they've got a lot of uh, Scandi and Danish links, which I'll get to in a second. They're quite a unique team, though, because they don't have an academy at all. And I think we've discussed this in our one of our 101 episodes about academies. They decided that spending roughly £2 million a year on an academy wasn't worth it when they've got Chelsea and Fulham on their doorstep in the same catchment area, basically. So they lost a Premier League subsidy from not having one. But they have an approach where they focus on having a B team. So they're getting players who are sort of late teenagers, 17 to early 20s in this B team. And they use a little club down the street called ASU Wimbledon to loan a lot of players to as well. Um, Brentford are like a money ball kind of team that's how you'd kind of describe them and they use the, they bring t- players up through this b team that and they focus on not big household names as you may may not, may not surprise you but players who've been released or unwanted by clubs or, or overseas teams or domestic teams as well and those kind of players who might see Brentford as a stepping stone into English soccer and ultimately the Premier League which is this entire squad who are going to be in the Premier League this season um, they do have six Danish players in their squad, uh, including Matthias Jensen, who was the player who was subbed on when Christian Eriksen collapsed at the Euros. Uh, Their captain is Swedish, it's Pontus Janssen, uh, who is at 30 years old, one of the veterans of this team, if you can believe it. I was actually lucky enough to go and watch Brentford play live in person a couple weeks ago. They played against Ding Ding Ding, AFC Wimbledon, a few (laughs) weeks ago, and I was able to see their key man for this season, Ivan Toney who um, got 33 goals and 10 assists last season. You know, a a massively important striker for them last season. And they were pinning... He's crucial, basically, for them to survive this year. If he can get the goals this year, they're probably going to be okay. And he's one of those players where they they found great value. They got him from Peterborough. I think he cost something like 5 million. He was the best striker in League One at the time. They brought him up, and now he's getting his shot in the Premier League. And they've got a couple couple of other supporting casts who might join... Supporting cast members, I should say. Ethan Pinnock, who get... uh, got a few goals in friendlies in the past few weeks he was a non-league player a few seasons ago kind of taking that Jamie Vardy route with Brentford uh, Josh De Silva is a player an attacking midfielder who came from the Arsenal Academy kind of a, a box-to-box midfielder the closest they might get to a De Bruyne kind of player I would hasten to say um, and Graham um, Christopher Ayer a yep. Norwegian centre-back coming in from Celtic I don't know if you can tell us much about him but he came in I believe it's a 12 million record fee is that a good one for them? 
Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great signing for Brentford. I think he will fit them really well. Ayer, I'm a massive fan of Ayer. He has been, in the same way that uh, you were comparing a player to, to, to De Bruyne there, I'm going to compare Ayer to Virgil van Dijk. Not so much in terms of his quality, but in terms of his skill set. He is the complete central defender. He's very tall, physically imposing, so he should be able to handle the prep that side of the Premier League. But he is also very, very good on the ball, which is why I think he will suit Brentford's style of play, and I expect to see him going on a few Maisie runs up the up the pitch in the Premier League this season. Well, style of play and Maisie runs, Graham, might be the reason why I'm pitching this team as a, a neutral's favourite. They're not like a two banks of four, meat and potatoes kind of team. They have very much their own identity. They're quite fun. They're quite fun to watch, as you would have seen if you saw them in the Championship last year. Kind of almost like Sheffield United having something a bit different they're going to bring to the table. They're a very attacking side. Uh, they had the second highest XG last season behind Norwich. Uh, 79 goals last season. Uh, they're averaging That was an average of 1.7 goals per game. That's roughly the same as Liverpool, says my maths. Uh, also, though, they have the defense, they certainly had in the championship the defensive fortitude. They were allowing 8.4 shots a game. That was the joint fewest in the championship. Their coach is a fellow called Thomas Frank. He's Danish once again. Um, not by, I should say they are, their own resource also owns FC Micheland, which explains the Danish link um, throughout these teams. Thomas Frank is an intense fella. He's got lovely hair and he's an intense fella on the touchline. <laughs> he's got some Bielsa energy going on. He doesn't <laughs> mind annoying the opposition. He doesn't mind uh, getting the officials a little riled up, but he's, he does also have a pretty fun style. He can play a 4-3-3. He's done five and three at the back as well. And part of Brentford's uh, um, appeal is is the way they can confuse by sort of mid game switches. He does a lot of this, a lot of fluidity in those in those um, formations as well. Joe, I think you're going to love watching this team week in week out because I think you'll see some fascinating patterns going on there. Um, but they are looking good. They beat Valencia last weekend in a friendly two one. They drew against Man United a couple of weeks ago in a friendly. We're not going to put too much weight into friendlies, of course, but. Um, I'm excited to see what this team can do in the Premier League. And once again, I will say it's it's um, it's all on Ivan Tony. basically. They're, they're, they're big man up top. If he can get the goals, I think they're going to be okay. Which leads me, gents, to my very specific prediction. And if you don't mind, I've got two. I'm going to say that Tony is going to score 15 or more goals, which um, I'm going to put him... I was kind of thinking, is, is he going to break out like Timu Puki, who got 11 goals in 2019-20? I think he's going to do better than that, and he's going to keep them afloat. Uh, my second very specific prediction is that Thomas Frank's going to get a touchline ban, a touchline ban for fighting Bielsa. <laughs> that would um, be must-see TV. <laughs> and I look forward to it when it happens, when they have dueling drones spying on each other's training sessions. <laughs> uh, Ryan, sometimes when we have teams come up that try to play that very attacking, aggressive style, Fulham cough cough, uh, it does not go well. Do you expect, it sounds like you expect Brentford to sort of be able to stick with the approach but apply it well in a more competitive league as opposed to kind of getting shredded the way we saw Cough Cough Fulham get shredded. I think they'll stick to their guns, Taylor, and I think they will play an attacking style. I mean, we said this about Norwich when they went up last time. They were very gung-ho, and but they didn't quite have what it took at the back. And I think the difference maker here, they've made that signing in Aya, as, as we mentioned there from Celtic, and I think they'll have the defensive fortitude to just about keep it in line. I'm not saying they're going to be a you know like a Leeds and a, to- a top half finish by any means, but I think they're going to have enough to survive. At least that's my hope because they're they're a neutrals favourite for me as well in this league certainly. All right, um, Taylor, shall we bring it to Brighton? Um, we've, we've heard that Ben White has left. We heard that Leo Messi is not coming very sadly. Um, feels like this might be a struggle of a season. I'm gonna I'm gonna posit here, Taylor, that if Bre- if Brentford stay up, it might 
be at Brighton's expense? Uh, I will answer that question. But first, I need a moment to collect myself, Ryan. Hmm, let's take two or three minutes to think about that, Tay-Tay. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back and we are talking Brighton and Hove Albion and Mr. Taylor Rockwell is going to guide us through. What do you think, Taylor? Are they going to make it this year? I'm, I'm not that enthused when I think of Brighton, if I'm honest. I think that's fair. I think that that's kind of what what Brighton do, but at the same time unfair because then Brighton stay up and play uh, interesting football. I think your trepidation is valid, and I think a lot of what we said for some of these teams applies to Brighton, which is that they've made some moves, they had an okay end of the season, but maybe not enough moves to know exactly where they are as we start the season. I think so many teams in the Premier League this season are going to figure it out like four or five games in or figure out that they don't have enough four or five games in, and I'm not sure which of those Brighton will be because last season, finishing 16th with 41 points was their best total so far. Uh, only five teams keeping more clean sheets than they did, so a good defensive performance by Graham Potter's team who usually come in a 3-4-3, but a very fluid, amorphous 3-4-3 where it can be a 5-4-1, it can be a 4-4-2. They have lots of different shapes and looks. Uh, they will be very tight defensively and then uh, press and harass from the forwards, but not the midfield. They have wingbacks who can get forward and overload on one side, but then a number of attackers who will crowd the middle. So you've got a lot of different options, less so when it comes to the personnel. And that would be where I would have concern, Ryan, to your initial question, because they've lost Ben White for $50 million, which is a lot of money for Brighton. Uh, but it's how Messy they money. want to reinvest that uh, that will be sort of the answer to a lot of the questions. So far, they've made just one notable signing. They've made three total, but uh, it's Jeremy Sarmiento from Benfica, Kiel Sherpin, a six foot eight goalkeeper from Ajax. Neither of them expected to play very much. Enoch Mwepu, however, is expected to start as one of their two uh, more holding midfielders alongside Yves Bissouma. And Enoch Mwepu, for £18 million from Salzburg, feels like he is going to be a bargain. Uh, not just because he has the coolest, dorkiest nickname. Joe, this is for you. His nickname is The Computer. I feel like you'll appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> he That's reads good. the game. He analyzes the game. He also forgot his boots because he was so nervous for his first day of training. I can imagine that scenario, and it makes him very relatable. Uh, so I, I feel like that is a big issue that they've resolved because he is this rangy, box-to-box midfielder who's good on the ball, makes smart passes, evaluates his options really well, and that's sort of what they need when partnering Basuma. So that's been a great signing but then the issues from last season specifically the lack of goals or where the goals will come from kind of is still the big issue they only got 40 that was the sixth worth sixth worth worst in the league wow that was tough to say top scorer was Neil Malpai with eight Danny Welbeck Danny Welbeck still in there with six then Trussard and uh, Lewis Dunk with five each 
But none of those names, I would say, really inspiring that much confidence. Malpay, probably the, the biggest one, the biggest goal threat, and that will continue to be the case this season. He will lead that line. He will be that central striker. Danny Wilbeck can play on the left, can be central, but I think the lack of options up top and in the goal-scoring areas, mostly the creative areas, still has people, I think, Brighton fans a little bit concerned. So my prediction will be that Brighton will sign an unsexy forward for a moderate amount who will then be good. They've been linked with Eddie <laughs> Nketiah from Arsenal, uh, but it seems like they want more proven veteran experience. They've seen other clubs spend too much money on uh, sort of valuable assets from bigger clubs' academies that did not pan out, so I'm not sure they want to go that route. But I think they're going to try to find somebody who... Doesn't really turn the needle that much, Ryan, to your, again, back to your initial observation about Brighton, but will end up scoring a solid number of goals and help keep Brighton up. So that is, that is how I'm feeling about them right now. I think their most important player, though, will be the team physio because they have tons <laughs> of concerns heading into this season. And I think keeping everybody fit in a relatively small squad is probably the only way that they have the kind of consistency and longevity that you need to get through a Premier League season. They finished between 15th and 17th in the last four seasons, Tate. Yep. Do you see them surviving the drop? I think this will be, like, my heart says yes easily because Graham Potter is such an interesting manager who seems very adept at evaluating the pieces he has and then putting them together in a way that isn't just functional, but very functional and very fluid and very interesting and problem-creating for the opposition. But when you don't have that sort of investment, you can reach this time. I remember like Stoke City had this period with Tony Pulis, who's not Graham Potter. I want to make that very clear. But like you have this time period where it's like, okay, that's good enough. Now we want to kind of move on to that next level. And I don't think Brighton are quite there yet. But I think there's this idea that you've either got to spend some money, which they haven't been shy about doing in the past, or sort of be okay with that scrap. And I think right now they're caught in two worlds, and I think that will be more of that sort of 15 to 18 position is where they're going to be, hopefully for Brighton fans in 17th as opposed to 18th. Taylor, you were talking about the the strikers mm-hmm. that they may target. Sorry to add kind of the Scottish perspective again, but I cannot believe that they have not dumped 20 million of that Ben White money on, on Odson Edward yet, yeah. who for me is that is a no brainer. Odson Edward, Celtic are open to selling him for 20 million pounds. He's not playing for Celtic at the moment. He wants to leave potentially. That's a signing for me for Brighton. Not only would he provide the goals, he would fit into Graham Potter's system, but there's also tremendous sell on value there. I think Odson Edward is a player who could play for one of the, the biggest clubs in Europe. I just can't believe that they've not put that money down on him yet. I'm right there with you, Graham. I'm right there with you. Because <laughs> I think, again, the other names that they've been linked with aren't, I would say, of that quality, certainly, but also of that experience and that level. And And it just seems like he's a player who could come in with a point to prove and maybe a little chip on the shoulder, which is what you want when you've got somebody joining a club in the Premier League, but of smaller stature like Brighton is, to kind of come in and show I belong here and also maybe, like with Brentford, use them as a launching pad for that next big move. And I think Odson Edward moving to Brighton would make a lot of sense. He would give them a lot of different options, and he could play a couple different roles for them. So I'm with you. It would be a very smart signing. I think if we wanted to see it charitably, it would be that Brighton 
tend to identify the problem areas and then they address them by signing somebody. Last season, it was who plays that holding midfield role alongside Basuma. And sometimes it was Ben White. He was a regular fill in there, but also filled along the back line. They have depth at center back. They've brought in Wepu to sort of address Ben White not being able to play that role anymore because he's gone. So my hope would be that they're just taking that same level of caution and exercising that same level of patience as opposed to just thinking that uh, Alton Edward wouldn't be good enough for value. All right, team preview number five. It's the one we've all been waiting for. Graham, <laughs> Burnley, make it quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not the sexiest team, are they? They're not the sexiest club, um, but they have their, they, they, they definitely have their strengths. They finished 17th last season in the Premier League. That, however, was comfortably clear of relegation. They finished 11 points above the bottom three and it re- never really felt like they were at risk of of, of going down. Um, last season, we left Burnley amid concerns that Sean Dyke might actually be on his his way out. Crystal Palace had been had been linked with them. It felt like maybe it was the end of a cycle for Dyke at Burnley, but but no, he's still there eating worms. <laughs> and uh, midway through last season as well, some important context: an American investment company called ALK Capital acquired a, a large stake, eighty four percent, in Burnley for for two hundred millions, two hundred million, sorry. And uh, while there were concerns over a a leverage buyout and loading the club with debt I think there was a lot of optimism at Turf Moor that this this would be the thing that pushes them away from the the bottom of the Premier League table you know how as every season they are everyone's favourite tip to go down every season they avoid that but it kind of feels like one of these these seasons it will catch up with them However, that hasn't really materialised into in the form of transfers. They've only really made one notable addition, Nathan Collins from, from Stoke City, uh, a very talented 20-year-old central defender who feasibly could partner James Tarkovsky at centre-back. Um, Tarkovsky, I'll come on to speak about him. He's a key figure for them. But Collins is still one, one for the future. And coming into this transfer window, it seemed like the focus for Burnley was on lowering that average age of their squad. Only Crystal Palace had a, an older, squad than them last season but to be perfectly honest it feels like they've still got a lot of business to do looking through their squad yes there are some quality players who I will I will, I will come on to but it's a very light squad and we saw last season when uh, when uh, Nick Pope and Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky all suffered injury problems Burnley really struggled when all three of those players were were in the side they they, they collected uh, 37 points I was reading in, a, in an article by by 442 which is as they say kind of upper mid-table form but with one or more of that trio absent they took just two points from 13 matches so they are still very reliant on a on a key a core of of key players, I, sh- I should say, in terms of their style of play. I mean, let's be honest here. Burnley will be a Sean Dyke side as long as Sean Dyke is at Burnley. Well drilled, well coached, well organised, but they are probably the the most kind of agricultural team in the Premier League. If, if we're being truly honest, they they tend to set up in a in a four four two shape and and when they, oh, they have all the players available the idea is to keep things compact through the middle and use the front to 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 play off them and 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 build attacking moves but to look at a positive i very much admire the way that they maximize their resources as i said you look you, you look through that squad and i i think on paper it's potentially the weakest in the league i think even the promoted team certainly norwich potentially uh brentford and 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 watford as well i think they they might have stronger squads on paper, so I guess Dyke deserves a lot of credit for the way that he uses his squad. To to mention two, uh, three, sorry, key performers: 
James Tarkovsky, I'd say he's Burnley's most important uh, player when me and Tarkovsky, as I mentioned earlier, were sidelined last season. You could you could really tell uh, when they weren't in the team. Chris Wood, by far and away Burnley's top goal scorer last season with 12 Premier League goals. For context, their second top scorer, which was a number of players on just three goals. So a big gulf there. And the, the, the New Zealand international is quite simply a an apex of their whole team. They play off him, they play around him, they, he provides aerial threat to get on the end of crosses and he has that finishing instinct that, frankly, no one else really has in this team. The one exception in this Burnley team who is possibly their only quote-unquote flair player is Dwight McNeil. Um, he averaged 1.8 dribbles per appearance in the Premier League last season. He provides a bit of width, a bit of final product on the left wing. As I mentioned there, he's, he's a bit of a dribbler, so that that separates him out from the rest of the team. And uh, Burnley would be even more Burnley to the point where their system might not work if they didn't have Dwight McNeil. He is a, a bit of a difference maker. So that is my summary of what to expect from Burnley this season. Uh, listener, if you're still with us, we are previewing Burnley. Uh, we'll be back <laughs> to some more interesting content very shortly. Uh, Graham, oh. I will ask you for your very specific prediction. Sorry, did I interrupt you there, Taylor? Oh, yeah, I've got... You joke. I've got a bunch of questions about Burnley because I think Burnley okay. are really, really, really fun, to be honest. In a I'm sorry, what? very hipster, nerdy sort of way. In the sort of way that people like uh, Sharknado and <laughs> stuff like that. More more that I am convinced that Sean Dyche is, is basically if Jose Mourinho were English and had only managed small clubs. <laughs> like, I, th- I think that is sort of the, the line I would draw because he is so good at getting his team so well defensively organized that they're all about... uh, We've talked about this about Burnley many different times in many different shows, that they are all about chance limitation and making teams take shots from distance or from low percentage angles, low percentage spots on the field, and that's how they set up. And then they try to capitalize on teams getting frustrated and hitting on the break. And I think the way they set up defensively is just so funny because then they sell their center backs for lots and lots of money, and those center backs suddenly don't look as good because they're not playing in this fanatically organized way. And I think that's what Jose Mourinho wishes his clubs could do. It just that he manages bigger teams who have more of an expectation of attacking intent. All of this is leading me to ask you, Graham. Dwight McNeil has been linked with a couple different clubs, including Everton, who I'll yep. be talking about in a little bit. How much of a problem would that be? Like, I, I assume Everton would need to make an offer well above market value to get Dwight McNeil, which they have been reticent to do and maybe cannot do. But if another club came in and offered a ton of money, do you think Burnley should take it if it's sort of in like the 40 to 50 million range? Or should they hold on because of what Dwight McNeil means to the club? Um, I mean, you know, Bur- Burnley are Burnley, so I do think there is a, a there is a price that would be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Forty to fifty million for Dwight McNeil would probably give Burnley a good chance of reinvesting that money and finding someone relatively similar to him. But I, I do think they would need to recognise how important it would be to replace him. There's no chance that they could sell Dwight McNeil and and get by for the season. I think that would be the thing that, that would consign them finally to, to relegation just because of the way they set up their midfield. If you look at their their, their midfield four last season, they're, they're the players who played the most often, often, you have Brownhill and Westwood in central midfield. Then you have Goodmanson on the right side. Now, Goodmanson is not a winger in the same way that Dwight McNeil is. He will, he will come inside. He, he, he doesn't hit the byline in the way that McNeil does. He doesn't have the deliveries that, 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 that McNeil has. So in that midfield line, he is very much the only one who does what he does. Charlie Taylor behind him is a decent enough fullback. He does have a, a, a you know, attacking instincts, but 
we're not talking about Luke Shaw here. We're not talking about someone who's going to to uh, to fly to the byline at every single opportunity. And he doesn't need to do that because he has Dwight McNeil ahead of him. So to answer your question, I think it would be a gigantic hole in their team if they were to sell him. All right. So don't sell Dwight McNeil is not necessarily a prediction, <laughs> but a, a request. Yes. Well, <laughs> it, it depends on whether you want Burnley to stay up or not. <laughs> True, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you how I feel about that question, but you can probably infer the answer. Why don't we move on to Chelsea, Mr. Joseph Lowry? I was a little dismissive in my assumption earlier this week that this will be a title race between the two Manchester teams, but Chelsea very much in this, aren't they? Crazy good squad, playing how the manager wants, lots of potential here. All thanks to Frank Lampard, of course, doing the groundwork. But what do you make of this one, Joe? Sorry, I'm just distracted thinking about a, I don't know, a basketball style seven game series between Burnley and Sweden's men's national team. Um, Taylor will have eight pages of notes on that while the rest of us are it's somewhere else. It's the only but... way that I'll be able to stay awake. <laughs> Chelsea stay good. Chelsea, talking about my actual team, they, they stay good. They are absolutely, in my mind, in contention for the title this season. And that's only helped. I, I had that even before Romelu Lukaku is... He's going. It's not official yet. Oh, the the picture of him in a Chelsea jersey shaking Thomas Tuchel's hand has not been taken yet. But it's happening by everything that we can tell. Chelsea are a strong squad. We last saw them winning the Champions League, beating Manchester City in the final. They are very capable in any particular game of beating any team in this league. They finished fourth in the league last season with Tuchel getting hired in January and giving them life in a big, big way. Uh, unfortunately for Graham, one of the biggest moves that I want to talk about for this team is Billy Gilmore. I'm not actually going to talk about Billy Gilmore, but <laughs> Graham, I'm sorry that Billy Gilmore is not on this Chelsea team. I think he could have helped them. But even without him, they still have a ton of talent. They have midfield talent, uh, Conte and Jorginho in midfield in the 3-4-3 shape that Tuchel likes to use a lot is a really effective pivot. They have skills that complement each other quite well. Kovacic uh, at times slotting in there as well and giving them a bit more attacking prowess if Conte is on the bench or if he's out with an injury. And then the front line, you've got Mason Mount, who often plays on the left. You have a number of different options who can play on the right between Christian Pulisic, who is now the face of Puma. And that was a really weird ad campaign the other day. Anyway, and then you got Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. And and then the big guy, the big signing, in addition to being a rather large person, is Romelu Lukaku. He is one of the best strikers in the world, top three, top five, wherever you want to put him. He will help elevate this team and give them another dimension in possession. He's a force in transition, too, which we really see with Belgium a lot. We saw it some last year with Inter in Serie A, too. He's he's phenomenal. Chelsea are going to be really good this season. I'm excited to watch them under Thomas Tuchel. Um, Christian Pulisic, does he... Um, I'm not going to say... I'm not going to phrase this, does he push on this season, Joe? More consistency, perhaps, is needed? Yeah, so uh, what does push on mean? Translate that to American for me. Uh, take, and, take the next step, I suppose. Ah, yes. I mean, more consistency would be great. I, I think it's so hard, and this is a good challenge for Christian Pulisic, because there's no shortage of quality attacking play. You just bring in Lukaku, which might shift Timo Werner even further out wide at times. It could also change the shape a little bit into maybe a two-forward front in specific games as well. But the, the attacking options are just getting deeper. and de- they're, they're, they're multiplying for Chelsea right now. And for Christian Pulisic, he's played some in preseason as a wingback, and I believe he did that briefly last season as well. He might have to be okay with playing some roles that aren't necessarily the most comfortable for him, but this season will be a big test. If he's healthy and if he's getting consistent, 
consistent minutes. I think that bodes really well for him. It's going to be hard to balance playing for Chelsea with having to go and play three games every month for the U.S. men's national team and World Cup qualifying. So he is at a bit of a disadvantage. But if he shines this season, I think it will only be a more impressive accomplishment because of the the real plethora of attacking options that Chelsea have and the fact that he's going to be traveling across the Atlantic what seems like every other week. <laughs> it seems, Joe, to me that everything's set up to go right for Chelsea at the moment. Um, what are the key problem areas, potentially? What what could go wrong? So I mean, there's always a challenge of everyone knowing what you want to do, right? And every team in this league, even even the teams that are coming up, everybody's going to know what each other are, are doing on some level, right? That's why you have tactical analysts, and that's why you have video analysts and, and all that stats and all that stuff. But with, with Chelsea, because Tuchel is so committed to possession, they averaged so much possession. They hit 70% plus in a number of different games after Tuchel took over last season. You always run into the risk of facing a really, really low block <laughs> Burnley and, and not being able to break it down. That's why teams defend in a low block. So that's going to be a real challenge for them is how sharp are their attacking movements? How how can they operate in those margins in the Premier League to actually exploit really, really tight areas? So that's, that's one thing. Then I, I also just think squad rotation and figuring out how to balance the locker room and how to get players on the field that work together well while also rotating the squad and giving players the necessary rest. That's a big thing. And then maybe, maybe the back line as well, slightly. Thiago Silva's getting up there. He's 35. Rudiger is, is a good player. Christensen's a good player. Aspilicueta, they're all good players. But compared to the rest of this squad, especially the attacking core, it's not as strong, relatively speaking. I still think it's a good back three, whoever, whichever three center backs are in those spots. Uh, we, I mean, shoot, we, we also could see a shift to a back four at some point this season. But either way, that, that area of the field for Chelsea is not quite as strong as some of their attacking play. And lastly, but not leastly, on Chelsea, please, Joe, your VSP. So I've got Chelsea will have at least four players with 10 plus goals this season. So I've got Lukaku, Timo Werner, Will, uh, Ryan, you will stop hating Timo. No, I, I, you, won't, I won't. you won't, you won't. But <laughs> Timo Werner, I think, is is poised for a strong season this year, especially with Lukaku coming in. Uh, so he's another guy I've got at 10 plus goals. Mason Mount, I think, could score 10 plus. Then Pulisic, Havertz, Ziyech. I mean, all these guys could score 10 plus. So four of those players, Lukaku and Werner for sure, are going to score 10 plus. Wow. 40-plus goals production there. I like the sound of that. Um, we're going to take a break, but actually I think I might squeeze in one more team. Oh, I've dropped some coins. I uh, might squeeze in one more team if that's all right. <laughs> what? Right, are, you, are you busking while recording? What's happening? Oh, there were some coins delicately poised on the edge of my desk and they just fell on the floor and I've just... Um... He just he just runs around with uh, golden rings like Sonic the whole time. <laughs> I know there's a there's a coin shortage at the moment, but I'm hoarding them on my desk right now. I apologize. Um, but I'm going to get to a team who might not earn too many coins this year for their performance. Crystal Palace. Um, kind of Premier League furniture for the last few years. They have been up and down traditionally in the Premier League. Uh, to give a bit of context, they play at Selhurst Park, which is in South London. That's in uh, specifically in Croydon. It's the stadium I've been to most in my life because my team, ding, 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 Wimbledon, used oh, to play yeah, their I was, games there. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Also the home of AFC Richmond. Um, if you're into that kind of thing, Graham, you into that kind of thing? Guess Meh. not. <laughs> Their mascot, Kayla the Eagle, has sadly left us. Uh, Kayla the Eagle, fun fact, lived in Dartford, which is where I am right now. Fun fact, not so like, fun. Ryan's pre- preview seemed to just be stuff that's sort of nominally <laughs> about him or the co-hosts. And I love it. <laughs> Fine, I'll do stuff about the team if that suits you, Taylor. This is a huge change. Uh, they once big... had tea in my garden. Is a very important point for this season. <sighs> 
All right. It's a rebuild year, I think, this one is for Crystal Palace. A new manager here after four years of Roy Hodgson, who, uh, you know, had kind of a, a play it safe, a bit dull at times, but, you know, got, got the best out of the team and uh, didn't get them relegated for, for, for all the years, the four years he was in charge. We've got Patrick Vieira, of course, coming in from Nice uh, after uh, Lucien Favre did not take the job. I think Nuno was also in the frame for this one as well. Uh, he's got a, he's brought his team with him. He doesn't have his assistant, Christian Latanzio, who was with him at New York FC and Nice. Uh, he's gone to a little team called Charlotte FC. More on that in the coming months. Uh, their new development coach, though, is Saeed Aigon. I'm sorry, I probably butchered that surname. But this is a team that's very much going to be focused on youth. Um, a lot of players have gone. Van Anholt, Sarko, Townsend, Scott Dan, James McCarthy, Connor Wickham, all gone. Uh, Roy Hodgson's pragmatic style, probably all gone as well. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what Patrick Vieira does here. He's come from Nice, as I say. He finished seventh uh, in the league in their first season, and uh, they finished ninth in the second season, which he did not complete. Uh, they were dumped out of the Europa, Europa League uh, in, in um, a, a rather negative style. Uh, their key players... I think um, you can probably guess it's going to be Wilf. Wilfred Zaha is uh, still around at Crystal Palace. But, um, uh, you know, they've got players like uh, Luka Mihaljevic and Joel Ward uh, and like, those kind of players who are going to be important for them as well. James MacArthur as well, probably going to be in there. One player who they've picked up, I think, is going to be very important for them, Mark Gehi, who uh, comes from the Chelsea Academy. He's, he played an, on loan at Swansea last season, a centre-back who's going to be key to them, really trying to reverse the... Problematic defending they maybe uh, had last season. He's being pitched as a as a future England star by some who are maybe being too optimistic about him. But I have spoken to um, uh, a Swansea uh, supporting friend of mine who's very, very much up on Mark Gehi and what he can do for Crystal Palace. Eberechi uh, Eze is going to be out injured. He tore his Achilles last season, so they're going to have to do without him. Uh, Christian Benteke, by the way. Um, a player I kind of forgot existed until uh, I was told, and you're going to hate me for this because it's a reference to my own life, but he lives opposite my brother. Fun fact for you. He rents a, a house opposite my brother, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I've brought it back there um, for you. <laughs> I'm now just fully convinced that you do these previews Slumdog Millionaire style, where it's all just sort of random life events inform you about the club it's all destiny that you're previewing <laughs> crystal palace very much so very much so. it's a top story of my reference life. right there you're welcome story of my, story of my life taylor uh Benteke got 10 goals last season i think it's the first time he managed it in a while so they they might be uh, relying on some uh some firepower there they've also signed a player called jacob montez who played a uh, midfielder who played with the timbers uh, played college at georgetown but he's been loaned out to uh, belgian first division b team vaslan beveren because he cannot get a work visa I will try and blame Brexit, but I don't think Brexit's to blame because he's not a European. Uh, playing style is going to be probably a bit different with Patrick Vieira. Maybe you guys can speak more to that, having watched him uh, probably more than I did at NYCFC, but very much possession-based manager. Uh, likes Like to very much dominate in possession with Nice, even if uh, didn't dominate in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. Joe, is it fair to say... A Patrick Vieira style is a little bit low tempo. A little bit low tempo, sorry, might not be the most glamorous style to to watch. Is that fair? Uh, it kind of depends on what you like, I guess. I really enjoyed watching his NYCFC team. I didn't watch as much of him in uh, at Nice and Ligue 1. But that team was really, really good in New York City. They mm. were top, top of the league in terms of how they played and how they created chances. It, it really is a fine line between 
passive possession play and proactive possession play. Um, and so mm. part of that, I think, is in the eye of the beholder. Like like Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea could have some of the same problems where at times they're a little bit dull to watch maybe because they're just passing the ball back and forth and it feels like it lacks pace and tempo. But man, I, if I'm a Crystal Palace fan, I'm not saying everything's going to go smoothly this year under Patrick Vieira, but he should be a breath of fresh air. And, and it's a risky breath of fresh air mm-hmm. in a lot of ways if he does try to play like he did in Major League Soccer because they don't Crystal Palace doesn't have the talent relative to the rest of the league that NYCFC did relative to the rest of Major League Soccer. But man, I think he's a I think he's a good coach who has the potential to get this team playing some fun, enjoyable, energetic soccer. Okay, and yeah, I think a risky breath of fresh air is the phrase you said, Joe. I think that's a very good way of summarizing <laughs> it. He is a he is a roll of the dice after all, coming from the relative safety of uh, Uncle Roy uh, for the past four seasons. Um, but I think this is, you know how we were talking about how, was it Marseille brought in seven changes into their starting 11 yeah. for, their, for their opening game last weekend I think when you make big changes like this it is risky so we're gonna I don't know how Palace are going to do this season which leads me to my very specific prediction which is Patrick Vieira will be the manager who wins the sack race I'm gonna say the week of December 19th is when he's gonna go I'm sorry Another <laughs> <laughs> I hope it won't be that depressing. If he wins one, maybe one of his first four games or gets a point in one of his first four games, he will have broken the De Boer, um, uh, kind of a chain, I suppose. But I don't have much hope for Crystal Palace. I think the prom- the, there's some promoted teams, uh, at least one we've spoken of so far, who will um, make a place in the relegation spots available for a team from last season who were in the Premier League. One of those being Crystal Palace. I don't think they're going to do very well. That's my piece on Palace. Thank you very much. Ryan, would you? I, I feel like a lighter version of that because I, I agree with you. I think there's going to be some rough goings for Crystal Palace as they try to figure out who they want to be, what their identity is going to be. And I feel like this could be one, and we'll know as we go, but this could be one where Patrick Vieira, I think, will be linked with the, the sack or will be like rumored to be about to be sacked and he'll get the vote of extreme confidence, which is somehow a vote of no confidence. But I, I do look forward to kind of evaluating them as we go to determine if, if that's fair or unfair, because when you are sort of building and changing the way things have been, it, it means that there's going to be some unevenness to the performances. And that's the key thing is, is it uneven? Do they have good performances, but then maybe they can't hold it together or there's some fatigue and they get blown out the next game, but then they're good and they draw the next game after that. Like that to me is progress. If it is the DeBoer, nope, they're just losing and not looking competitive. Uh, then I think, yeah, Patrick Vieira is maybe uh, a good one to put some money on when it comes to the sack race. Yeah, which I already did. I'm sorry. <laughs> <to say. laughs> And on that depressing note, we're going to come back after these ads. Uh, We're going to talk about three more teams, Everton, Leeds, and Leicester City. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. 
Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. Taylor Rockwell, I turn my attention to you and your dulcet tones, good sir, to speak to uh-huh. Rafa Benitez's latest yeah. project, Everton. Yeah, you left us on a depressing note, and we're going to pick up on a depressing note. Because It'll I be- would say, if you're used to Everton being this sort of solid, reliable, mid-table to top six team who punches above their weight, times have Changed and Rafa Benitez is not an avuncular Italian grandpa. Uh, I will start with the uh, the athletic kind of summary on their preseason and what to expect from them. It really does. I tweeted this out last night, but it just feels so perfect for where Everton are right now. Save for one notable exception, a sanctioned trip for dinner at Planet Hollywood earlier this week. They have been limited in what they can do in their spare time. That was about their preseason tour of Florida in the United States, but also it feels sort of like a good metaphor for their season so far, which is that like even when they are doing things, they're still they, sort of depressing. Yeah, uh, they, they chose to go to Planet Hollywood. Exactly. There's a better restaurants choice. in that Disney Village thing, by the way. Just saying. I hope it's. I hope they at least went to the one where there's the Sylvester Stallone frozen in that weird liquid from D- Demolition Man. That is somewhere in a Planet Hollywood, and I would <laughs> I'd be down to eat off that. But aside from that, no reason to go there. Writes down another uh, Demolition Man reference from Taylor Rockwell. Thank you very much. Always, always. Uh, a movie I have not seen in ten years, but still can reference. There you go. <laughs> uh, last season they finished 
Underwhelming is what I would go with. Uh, finished 10th in Carlo Ancelotti's first and only season, it turns out. Uh, the final few weeks tell a tale. They beat Spurs in the FA Cup. Then they lost to Fulham. They beat Liverpool, Southampton, and West Brom. Didn't concede a goal. Then they lost to Chelsea and Burnley in pretty comprehensive fashion. <clears throat> and that really was Everson last season. was sort of up and down, inconsistent. Hamas Rodriguez allowed to leave early to rehab with the season still ongoing. But there was a feeling that maybe we're building towards something. A ton of money has been spent. Maybe we're getting it right this time. And then Carlo Ancelotti leaves for Real Madrid, and they're sort of back to square one again, which is how I would say, like, my main takeaway for Everton from this preview would be that phrase, back at square one again. Ancelotti gone, Rafa Benitez brought in, the esteemed Liverpool manager, Rafa Benitez, (laughs) who once called Everton a small club, uh, has been brought in, and everybody's totally on board and isn't furious about it at all. Uh, More worryingly, I think for Everton fans, uh, Alan, the midfielder, and James Rodriguez, uh, you know him, uh, were both players who moved to Everton, obviously, to, you know, to kind of reinvigorate the career for James for a new challenge for Alan, but also to work with Carlo Ancelotti, a manager they had both previously worked with. And he is now gone. Rafa Benitez has taken over. And that's maybe not the manager that they necessarily wanted to work with. On top of that, uh, Fabian Delph has been tweeting or Instagramming things about COVID that have gotten in some, him in some hot water. And then there's Gilfie Sigurdsson being arrested for suspicion of child sexual abuse. He's suspended pending the outcome of that investigation. It has been a tumultuous offseason so far. Uh, what have Everton done to deal with that is trying to clear a lot of the wages that they have accumulated off the books. Theo Walker, Yannick Balassi, and Bernard are all gone. James Rodriguez, Moise Kane still there and are the obvious ones to move because until they move specifically James and his weekly wage of around, I believe, £200,000, they cannot spend because of financial fair play restrictions, because they're building a new £500 million stadium. They are limited in their spending ability uh, and financial fair play somehow restricts Everton, but not anybody else. So essentially, their signings so far have been, if not bargain basement, then with an eye towards... Uh, you know, just being a little bit cost-effective. So they've brought in Damari Gray. They've brought in Andres Townsend with an eye towards playing them wide in a 4-2-3-1. Lots of crosses in for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. That's been the hallmark of the preseason is getting the ball wide, getting overlapping runs, specifically from left-back Luca, Luca Dina, and then crossing in for Dominic Calvert-Lewin or for late-arriving runners. That seems to be their, the way they're going to go because they very reminiscent of Burnley, somewhat reminiscent of some of the other clubs we've talked about, are going to sit deep, be very compact, frustrate. Uh, They will not look to kind of build via possession. They will have quick transitions to attack via one and two touch passing or more likely long direct passes into the channels and then crosses into the box. It's a pretty basic approach, but maybe one that will allow Everton to sort of get their footing, get some stability under Rafa Benitez, and then hopefully get some confidence from that, get some fans on side, and then they build from there. But there are a lot of ifs and conditionals in that sentence. So I think Rafa Benitez still has a lot of work to do to, to make people feel confident that this is the way forward. Luckily, he does have some talent. Dominic Calvert-Lewin already mentioned 21 goals and 39 appearances last season. And signing Damari Gray and Andres Townsend really is just going to give him more supply from wide. But then he still has Richarlison playing uh, underneath him. He has James Rodriguez underneath him for now. So... Tons of creativity, tons of uh, chance creation. And then Jean-Philippe Bauman. Uh, he says his parents pronounce it Bauman. He says it can also be pr- pronounced uh, Jabama. And then third, Gabamon. 
And he was sort of like, you can say Gabamon if you want to. Gabamon. So I'm going with Bamon. There you go. Bamon. <laughs> uh, injured and erratic so far in his Everton tenure, but has been their most solid performer by all accounts in preseason and will probably start centrally alongside Alan. He can play a little bit further forward if they wanted to go the midfield three. But I think Bamon being a sort of critical, reliable presence, a good ball winner, a strong midfielder who can also, I think, help with the defensive workload, but has the directness in his passing that uh, that Rafa Benitez wants, so he could shine. And then Dominic Calvert-Lewin will have to shine. Uh, and I, my prediction would be that Everton will make a deep, deep cup run, even if their league form is erratic, because Rafa Benitez knows how to manage knockout games, is very good at planning for those sort of individual matchups and spends a ton of time with players on an individual level to work with them 1v1 on what they need to improve, how they can improve it. And I think that allows Everton to sort of be well-suited for individual games. And I think they need to show some progress. A cup run would do that. So I think Everton, if not win a cup, I think go very deep in either the league or FA Cup. I like that prediction. They went, they got Thank to the you. quarters of both domestic cups last season as they well, sure did. lest we forget, Tato. Thank mm-hmm. you very much for that. Graham, I'm looking forward to this one. Leeds United, uh, who really um, did rather well last season, finishing ninth. Yep. Uh, push for Europe this season, to, uh, you know, taking Everton's place in the top half of the table. What do we think? Yeah, so as you mentioned there, I think it's fair to say that Leeds exceeded expectations last season. And I think a lot of people expected them to do well in the Premier League. But as you say, a ninth place finish after, what was it, 16 years out of the top flight mm. was uh, certainly one to one to savour. They started very strongly, Leeds. They then wavered in the middle of the campaign, which led to some suggestions that Marcelo Bielsa's team would tail away as Bielsa teams tend to do on occasion but that didn't happen at all actually instead Leeds finished really strongly they took 23 points from a potential 30 to end the season uh, and conceded just eight goals in their their final 11 uh, fixtures in the league so that 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 suggests to me that they they can take the next step this season they became something of a a much watch a must watch team sorry last season um, in their 4-1-4-1 shape which bends in a number of different ways and to the point where it isn't really a 4-1-4-1 they have an incredible intensity attack minded at all times almost to a fault in some instances I'm thinking of the what was it 6-1 or 6-0 defeat away to Manchester United where at 4-0 down they were still sending five or six players forward uh, which is entertaining I guess but uh, maybe maybe flawed at times but he also demands the, the highest work rate from his players obviously he's he's famous for that and that sometimes means means new signings take a little bit of, of time to settle in because of the, the fitness levels required to, to play for Bielsa I'm thinking Rafinha I'll speak about him a little bit later on but as I, I sort of referenced a little bit earlier the second half of the season or maybe the final third of the season you would say saw Leeds show a slightly different side they were a little bit more controlled dare I say it, at times even conservative um, they can and, and if they can toggle between those two sides between that slightly more controlled side and the attack minded side of their personality I would say that could be key to them taking the next step under Bielsa, Leeds United with the, the current ownership are very ambitious. I think they look at what Leicester have, have done as, as maybe a, a precedent to follow. And the way they, they're going about things, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that that is ridiculous to suggest that they, they could follow that lead. Looking at some of the business they've done, 
this summer. Um, there's only one sort of truly notable addition. That's Junior Firpo, signed from from Barcelona as a, a direct replacement for Alioski, who left at the end of his uh, contract at the end of last season. He's he's off to Saudi Arabia. Firpo can't play. Uh, Firpo, sorry, can't play in, in as many positions as Alioski. But I would say, having watched him at Barcelona and watched him for Betis and in La Liga, he potentially has a higher ceiling. He he can go um, much further. He he can, he's still young and can improve. And I think Bielsa is, is a good manager for him to work under. So he could be a really shrewd pickup just for for thirteen million pounds, um, which I think is very much undervalued for Junior Firpo. Um, 20-year-old goalkeeper Christopher Klassen has also arrived, but he will just be there to provide some depth behind uh, Melia, who I think was one of the success stories of, of Leeds' season last year. Uh, Lewis Bate has arrived from Chelsea. Jack Harrison's move has, he was obviously been on loan, I think, for the last two, possibly three seasons from Manchester City. But anyway, his move has now been made permanent. Um, but as things stand, this is a, a very similar looking Leeds team, which is no bad thing at all, because I feared heading into the summer that they might struggle to hold on to players like Calvin Phillips and, and Rafinha. So the fact that they're still there, and I don't think there's any suge- suggestion they are going to leave, I think that counts for a lot. So in terms of key performance, I've men- I mentioned, mentioned two already there. Calvin Phillips, his stock has never been higher after his pos- uh, performances for England at Euro 2020. There's maybe a, a greater appreciation now of Phillips' quality, not just in terms of someone who can break up opposition moves, but someone who can start attacks from, from deep and even push forward himself. I'm thinking of his assist for Raheem Sterling, was it, in England's first game yeah. against Croatia? Had to. That seems so long ago now. It was only about a month ago. Um, Rafinha is another one I would pinpoint as a, as a key performer. He arrived at Ellen Road from Wren last summer with a lot of hype around him, and he started quite slowly, but he really found some some heat in the second half of the the season. Six goals and nine assists off the the right side last season is not a bad return, particularly when you consider a lot of them came in the the second half of the season. And it really feels like he is ready to become the superstar of this this team this season and it would be remiss of me not to mention when we're talking about key performers Patrick Bamford perhaps the biggest surprise package of last season in the Premier League there were many questions asked of Bamford Bamford whether he could make the step up whether Leeds were heading into a season without a true goal scorer that was kind of identified as a, as a weakness for them going up into the Premier League last season. Well he then banged in 17 goals and 7 assists and it didn't really look like much of a weakness. So that is my uh, my ramble about Leeds and what to expect from them this season. And I'm I'm so sorry Ryan, I'm so interested in Leeds this year because last year I can't say enough good things about how Bielsa imprinted his style and how effective it was in the Premier League from an attacking standpoint. They were fourth in possession, just behind City, Liverpool and Chelsea, and they were fifth in expected goals. That is that's so impressive given the talent deficit that they're at relative to some of those top teams that they finished just behind. That that kind of boggles my mind. Bielsa did such a good job. The area that I'm really interested in seeing them improve this year is defensively. How can they leverage that that attacking style, that possession-based but still aggressive style into controlling the other team's attacks more? Because that's something that Manchester City does really well. They control possession and they dominate the chance-creating moments because they're able to use that possession and leverage it into counter-pressing opportunities. For Leeds, they gave up the second-most XG in the league last season, which is why they didn't finish higher than they did. Their attacking play was great. Defensively, they struggled. And so that's something that I think would really serve Bielsa and Leeds well is to improve that those couple phases of play to continue to help them elevate themselves in the table. 
Graham, this is the longest, I believe I'm correct in saying, that uh, Marcelo Bielsa has managed at club level with one with one team. I went through Argentina. He was there for six years. Wow, Chile really? For four years. <laughs> but I think aside from that, it's been a lot of one to two, yeah, mostly one to two seasons with different clubs. Do you get the sense that that's, like, is he pretty stable at Leeds? Is he pretty settled there? Or do we run the risk of him sort of having that Bielsa-esque blow up, that frustration that boils over? I I feel like that's always a risk. But sort of similar to Patrick Bamford coming good, it feels like there will always be that question of like, oh, is this it? Is this where it goes bad? But thus far it has not, and I'm hoping that continues to be the case. Yeah, I mean, with Bielsa, it feels like anything can happen at any moment. So I'm reluctant to say <laughs> that he is stable. And then with by next week, he could be gone from Leeds United because that's the kind of manager and the kind of character Marcelo Bielsa is. But based on the evidence we have on hand right now, yes, it feels like he is very stable at Leeds, more stable than I ever expected him to be at Leeds. Um, as you say, this is this is his fourth season. Is that correct? Yep. Two in the Championship, yeah. two in the Premier League? Yeah, fourth season at Leeds United. I think that the best illustration of how stable he is and how stable fans and Leeds United as well as a club feel about having Bielsa in charge was his his contract was up this summer and yet there wasn't really any discussion about him leaving. There was there was I saw a few reports of here's the update on Bielsa's contract. He might even have been out of contract for a for a spell, kind of in a Lionel Messi way, but that his, the Bielsa's uh Tale turned out very differently to Lionel Messi. Obviously, Lionel Messi uh, has left Barcelona and Bielsa has stayed at Leeds. So, yeah, it seems very, very stable at the moment. Uh, Graham, forgive me, did we get your VSP and did it involve uh, Bielsa fighting Thomas Frank at all? <laughs> that was my second choice, but uh, you, be- you beat me to it already. I'll go with Rafinha to score more goals this season in the Premier League than Patrick Bamford. I think Bielsa was doing a lot to push Rafinha into central positions towards the end of last season. I think the element of surprise, not necessarily that Bamford will have a bad season, I just think the element of surprise will maybe be gone. It felt like a lot of his goals were front-loaded towards the start of the season. So it's not so much that I think he's going to have a bad season, I just think Rafinha is going to have a really good season and he will be their top scorer. Wonderful stuff. All right, gents, we've done plenty today. We've got one more team to cover, though. Last but not least, on this part of our Premier League preview, Joseph Lowry, Leicester City, uh, who, of course, uh, got a victory in that all-important Community Shield, which is definitely a title uh, last weekend, with Pat Sadaka on board. What did you make of Leicester? What will you make of Leicester for this season, Joe? Leicester can just pack it in. Yeah, they've got the shield. I mean, they have nothing else to prove this season. That's the most important trophy that's out there in in global soccer. No, I mean, I continue to be so impressed by this Leicester team and how they are run, how they play, just every part about this club. I think if if they're not the most well-run club in the Premier League, they are certainly up there. They finished fifth in the league last season. They qualified for the Europa League. They also won the FA Cup. They had some pretty solid underlying numbers in the league last season. And this offseason, they didn't really lose anybody. The biggest loss was probably Cengiz Onder, who we talked about again on yesterday's show. He was on loan there at Leicester, and he played less than 300 minutes anyway. So he's a good player, but it's not like he was really impacting the team in a lot of ways. So they didn't really lose anybody super critical to their squad, and they gained a few really important players. Ryan, you just mentioned probably the most important one, Pat Sandaka, who's now added into this striker rotation with Iannaccio and uh, Jamie Vardy. Daka's a getting-behind kind of player. He was really good for RB Salzburg in the Austrian Bundesliga, probably their best player. And Leicester got him for 33 
$3 million. So, I mean, they're not breaking the bank on any of these signings. They also got Bubakari Sumare from Lille for $22 million, who's only 22 years old. He played more than 2,000 minutes last year for the league uh, title winners. Smooth on the ball, dangerous on the dribble, good passer as well. He's a guy that could and will help supplement the midfield of Ndidi, who's kind of the, the Kante for Leicester, and then Tielemans, who's kind of the Jorginho for Leicester. Their double pivot in their 4-2-3-1 under Brendan Rodgers really does remind me profile-wise of what Thomas Tuchel has going on at Chelsea, even if the two teams approach the game differently. Tactics-wise, they're not super uh, They're not super aggressive in how they possess necessarily. They mostly play out of that 4-2-3-1, as I said. They will keep a lot of the ball. They have lots of short passes, but they don't, they don't get forward into those Man City zones a ton. So they're not this dynamic possession team. They're solid defensively. They, they don't always press super high. They can, they can press high, but they'll fall back into that 4-4-2 mid-block. I just I think this is a really solid team. Brendan Rodgers has them playing good soccer. They don't do anything super crazy, but they're smart in their transfer business. They have players that can really do damage. They've got James Madison, who's a creative number 10. We've already mentioned it once on this show already. Now they've got a number of different options up front. They have a dangerous central midfield pairing. They have some solid defenders in the back. They also made a move for a couple in this transfer window. I, I just I can't see anything but good things about this Leicester team right now, Ryan. Wonderful stuff. Uh, and uh, you may have covered this, but the key players, who, who are you thinking there? Is it t- sort of Tielemans and Didi, that kind of thing? That's, I mean, that's a huge part of this team. We saw Tielemans at the Euros with Belgium, really good on the ball, really, really good at manipulating defenders with his eyes and with his hips, like pointing one way, pointing one way with his body and with his, with his head, and then passing kind of against his body and breaking lines that way. So he might look to his right at a 45 degree angle and then just pass in a straight line in between the lines. I love watching him on the ball. Indeed, he is phenomenal covering ground, winning the ball, also can complete some some short passes. Really excellent at screening the back line. I talked about some of the forwards already. They have Soinchu in the back, who was disappointing for Turkey at the Euros, but I think was generally strong for them in the league last season. It's just a, it's a solid squad. There's depth in a lot of different places. They brought in Ryan Bertrand on a free from Southampton, uh, who can deputize at, at fullback for them and, and play minutes there. I, I think this is going to be a team that contends again for European competitions with finishing at a similar place, if not high. I mean, it's going to be hard for them to beat their finish from last season, but they have the talent to to cause teams real problems in this league. My, my VSP, if you'll permit me, Ryan, is that other than Manchester City and Liverpool, Leicester will play the most through balls in the league. I mentioned James Madison uh, but also, I think this is important with the profiles of two of their three strikers, Jamie Vardy and Pat Sandaka. Those players both love to run in behind. And so Leicester, who were already fifth last year in through balls with 46, two behind Leeds and four behind Manchester United and then more behind uh, City and Liverpool. I think now with the addition of Daka, it's going to continue to emphasize that we're going to look for those clever little balls in behind. And that's what our attack is going to be built off of in a lot of different moments. Madison's going to rack up a lot of those. And I, I think Tielemans could as well from deeper in midfield. They're going to be hard to stop in transition, in transition, excuse me, and when they're able to settle into possession with some space to exploit in behind the opposing back line. Joe, I think you won very specific predictions with that one through balls. I love that. Very good. <laughs> um, do we see a similar pattern in terms of how their season progresses? We've seen, uh, you know, looking pretty strong and having a title challenge and then completely falling apart at the last minute. Do you see anything like that in Leicester's future? It's sure it's it's totally possible for something like that to happen. I have I have high hopes, and maybe I've been blinded with that previewing bias. I feel like that happens. I get really excited about whatever team I'm previewing. But this just looks like a solid squad to me. It's not a perfect squad. Sure, I'm not going to pretend like it is. 
But I think they have the talent to be, if not con- competing for the title from day one of this league, they're certainly going to be up there competing for Champions League spots, certainly for Europa League spots. I think this is a strong team that's going to do some damage this year. So it's another like, they're going to fall off at some point, right? Sort of season for Leicester and then they never do. Yes, that's what I'm predicting. I I wish I, man, I wish I knew that. I'd be making money on on these bets instead of Ryan. But yeah, I I can see that happening, Taylor. I didn't say I was making money for the record. (laughs) True, true. (laughs) All right, gents. I think that just about wraps up our Premier League preview for the first 10 teams. We're going to come back with a second part to cover Liverpool through Wolves. For now, though, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your contributions as always. Right back at you, Ryan. I am surprised to say that the final score is Wimbledon references five, Simpsons reference zero, I believe. A (laughs) shutout for Wimbledon. Well done to them. We perhaps will redress the balance in part two of this preview, Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph Lowry, congratulations for winning VSPs and good to see you from you again, sir. Thank you. Yeah. What do I win? Do I win something cool? You win the right to record the second half of this preview. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> as to you, Graham, Low- uh, Graham, Graham Lowry, Graham Rudman, <laughs> a pleasure of speaking with you. And we will look forward to hearing your thoughts on the other half of this old <laughs> Premier League that we're talking about. Graham Lowry, that would be a story. <laughs> <laughs> right back at you, Ryan. I'm it looking forward to it too. It started as a podcast, but became so much more. Oh, boy. (laughs) Pitch it. Pitch it, Taylor. Hollywood's waiting. Anyway, we'll catch you later, listener. Thanks. Bye. Bye.